Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Let's open in prayer, Father. Thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, that uh, we on the Big Island can still come and worship you. Lord, that's our desire to worship you, not just in song, but in our lives. Lord, we long to honor you. We long to hear from you today. So we thank you that we can hear your voice. You speak to our hearts, our minds. You speak through your word, You speak through the brothers and sisters. So we ask today, Lord, that you would increase that capacity to hear you. Give us a greater desire to hear and long after you. So, Lord, we simply want to say we love you. We thank you for what you have in store. We thank you for that hope of heaven. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, one church bulletin misused the word fake for take. The statement came out like this, many calls come into the church each week and we consciously fake an interest in every one of them. The world is hurting right now, big time. There are people that simply are are sick and they're scared of really the COVID-19 and what it could occur. And this is a time for us that we should be able to minister and, and really focus upon really the hurting people around us, no matter what their reason is, no matter what their fear is. And this is what's so, uh, neat about the big Island right now is that we can worship today. We, we can still sing. And here they want to keep the churches open. They want us to be able to sing as as long as we don't get real carried away, as long as the the infection is not going out. They actually believe the churches are going to be more other-centered than other people that are self-centered, concerned about others, esteeming others higher than themselves. And see, they've heard these words, they've even seen these words in many of the people's lives, and, and I'm so blessed by that, that they see that, they, they understand that. A man that's submitted to God, focused upon God, will be a man that loves God and loves their wife, cherishes them and esteems them. What's interesting is that we, we talk about these words, words so often are misunderstood, misread. People put a lot of emphasis on Facebook. If it's in Facebook, it must be true. But the saddest thing that I found there is sometimes even the body of Christ are putting out things that they haven't really checked and evaluated, researched themselves. They're all of a sudden authorities telling the world that they know everything. There's only one person in this world that is all-knowing, that's Jesus Christ. 
God himself. And it's important to understand as we come to this text, we're going to be looking at the, the word of God. In fact, in Hebrews 4, if you open your Bibles there to Hebrews 4, verse 12 and 13, let's read it together and see what we're going to look at. It says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit. Both the joints and the marrows are able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him whom we have to do. The word of God, it's, it's living, active. For many Christians that I've talked to, they, they know it's living and active. It's changing them. It's transforming them. It's convicting them of their sin. They know it's encouraging and refreshing. They find strength and they find and they agree with what the scripture says, that he is our strong tower, our refuge at a, a time of need. It's this word of God that you and I need. And when you become a man and a woman of the, the word, what happens is this word becomes flesh in us. We know that Jesus Christ, and we'll talk about that, when he came in this world is what we call his, his incarnation, his manifestation. God became flesh and dwelt among us. He's here today with you and me. But this word, this living word, becomes flesh in us. That you naturally do the things that you should do. He guides you and strengthens you and you use this word to, to guide you in your life. See, the word of God is, is in life and it's in print. The opening word shows us these two verses are connected to the, the proceeding that we've been studying. And immediately after the teaching about the, the sin of unbelief, and this is important to understand, the writer warns us about unbelief and it'll never go undetected. God who is all-knowing knows who's his. The question is today, do you know that you are a child of God, that you're born again? The Bible's very clear. Many deceive themselves. Now, when we turn back to our text here, the, the word that is in the Greek is the word we call logos or logos. It's applied to the, again, the, the written word in our text. And this is very important to understand that this word that you have, whether it be in, in a form of printed like this or on an iPad, however you would have it, it's God's word. God has watched over from the time that it has been written. It is the inspired word of God. It doesn't matter whether you read the King James, the New American Standard, the NIV. I think we all have our preferences and we should not argue over it. God has watched over his word and you can hear him speak through the word. The question is, above all things, do you really want to hear him? God, I can't hear you. In reality, what we're saying is we don't want to hear you. We don't like what you say. 
Now, when we talk about this word again here, this logos, it's also used in the, the Gospel of John. In chapter 1, it refers to Jesus Christ himself, God incarnate. Two points I would like to call your attention to. One is the, the power of the written word. There is power to change and transform your life. You were once blind, but now you see. You're once an alcoholic, and now you're set free from that bondage. There's power in you. This word, when it dwells in your heart, when you've hidden in your heart, it, it's power to comfort you, encourage you, refresh you. When you're going through a difficult time, it's here that we should be driven into the arms of God, into his word, and say, God, what word do you have for me today? And then anticipate and expect that God would speak. There's also this perception of the, the living word, that Jesus is living while the word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, he's, he's also here. He's sustaining you. He's keeping you. God will hold you up. You just need to run into his arms. And one of the ways you run into his arms is you run in and you get in the word and say, God, speak for your servant is, is listening. And really, this is what the text is about, is understanding that God is wanting to work in you and minister to you and encourage you. See, this is the, the final authority. Not the preacher's word. The, the final authority is the very word of God. Understanding the author's intent, not, not opinion of someone. But letting the word interpret itself, because this is why we use the cross-references to show you that this is one theme from cover to cover. See, when you're reading this word, this is the mind of God, and it reveals the condition of man. And the simple plan of salvation, no matter what translation going back, the message is there. God so loved the world, he sent his son. And that's the message that it's all about. But sadly, this message, people refuse to hear it. They refuse to listen to it. But they're without excuse, and they will be judged by these very words. And that's very important to understand. Now, if I would say there's one theme in the Bible, it's really, it's all about Jesus. Jesus spoke the world into existence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created them, created man. Man fell, and the rest of the Bible is about Jesus Christ's plan to redeem man, lost separated from God because of his own choices. Man will be accountable. Man is without excuse. Not, not just because of this word or this word here. Because God reveals himself in creation. You, the body of Christ, are the light, the salt into the earth. The world is watching you. When people are standing for what is right. Oh, not what you think and I think is right, but what God says is right. What is pleasing and honoring to God. But for those that reject it, 
They're without excuse. When they reject the word of God, they will stand one day before a holy God and judge. A holy God, but also a righteous God, is revealed in the scripture. Let me read John chapter 12, verse 48. He who rejects me does not receive my sayings, has the one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him in that last day. This word will judge you. This word will judge me. We'll talk about it later, but there's, there's two judgments. You and I, every one of us, will stand before God. We'll stand either at that Bema seat, that reward, and lose rewards, or we'll stand as an unbeliever at that white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20. There's no sitting on the fence. There's no place between. Every person is without excuse. Romans chapter 1 says God makes it very evident in every person's heart that he is God. And not to acknowledge him, not to receive him, is to reject him. And that person will end up in a Christless eternity. The word of God itself will be that judgment. Now, God's word is powerful in all the annals of, of time. There's never been a book like this word. Never. It's timeless. Many have tried to, to, to burn it and get rid of it. Many have tried to prove it wrong. Many will say, oh, the word of God is full of lies. Oh, it is. It tells the truth about man's condition who are liars. But judge, he will judge. It's important to understand, again, God's word is it's powerful. So powerful is the word of God that that, in a sense, millions are saved. Millions' lives are changed. And they found their life through the simple reading of the Word. That's the most important thing that you can catch today, is just simply reading the Word of God and learning to listen to Him. Not to a theology book, but to God. Read. Not how many chapters do you read, but read with the intent to hear God speak. It could be two verses and he speaks to you and stop and meditate upon it and think upon it. Look and see where else you see these same thoughts. Again, many have found life through the reading of the word. They found not only life, they found comfort. They found encouragement in the most difficult times. In times it seems so hopeless. In some ways it seems hopeless. When will this ever end, this pandemic? Life is hopeless without Jesus Christ. Paul described this word, the word of God, as living and active. Was it Paul? No. We don't know who spoke it. Many say it's Paul. Who we know wrote this or inspired it is the Holy Spirit himself. God himself spoke. He breathed in, just as he breathed life into Adam, he breathed life into those that would be writing this book. It's important to understand. It's always used as an expression of a, a person who opens his heart to the word of God. It's living, active, sharper than a two-edged sword. So the first thing is that the word of God is a Alive. It's living. 
And if you've been born again and you know that certain passages, as you've gone through difficult times, they, they have such joy and such meaning. You, you cling to them. You find comfort in them, hope in them. It's in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. At the very end of chapter 4, it says, Therefore, comfort one another with these words, referring back to that rapture. You can find comfort, hope, in a world that seems hopeless, spiraling out of control. Living, active, living in the believer. Now, Noah Webster uh, gives the primary meaning of this is, is being alive, having life, a living creature. Jesus said, unless a person's born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The reason he needs to be born again is he needs to be born from above. The, the life of God comes in you. God is living in you, and that is, should be the most awesome thought, that God lives in you, and he guides you, and he directs you. He never leaves you or forsake you because he's here. He's in your heart. He's in your mind. And the verse also tells us the word of God is it's unique. There is, again, no other book of its kind in the world. It's timeless. It's applicable for today as it was 2,000 years ago with his meaning as much. The Bible repeatedly claims to be this living, enduring word of God. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 and 25, notice what it says. For you have been born not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living, enduring word of God. All flesh is like grass. And all of its glory like the flower of the grass. And the grass withers and the flower falls up. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word of God being preached to you. And all we need to do is receive this word. Let it dwell in our hearts richly. Meditate upon this. Think about the life that God has given you in Christ and how much these words mean to you. What, what are those verses that, that you cleave to? You find comfort again and again and again. Again, the author writes, all scripture is, is given by inspiration of God in 2 Timothy 3.16. It's inspired by God. He, he's breathed into them, is, is what Peter talks into the people, leading them, guiding them. The word again is, is, is God breathes. He breathes his spirit of life into you. The spirit quickens that word in your heart. The spirit takes that word and works in your heart, shaping you, molding you, doing what it needs to do in your life. But in this world, even though you and I know this, in this world is, is doing everything they can to dismantle this word, this Bible. Whether it's really the Bible, whether it's really a living book, whether it's really in, inspired by God. What about the original manuscript? Maybe, maybe those were, but, but this word isn't. I love a translation. Your sins may be washed as white as snow, but there's another translation made for people that have never seen snow. Your 
sins can be washed as white as a coconut. And they understand what that means to be so white. Oh, that can't be the inspired word of God. And yet the church sometimes is so busy wrangling over words. And they've lost the heart and the meaning of the word. God loves man so much. He works with man and meets man at the level he's at. Certainly when they go from one translation to another, there's loses a sense. But the main meaning is always there in God. We use the word superintendent watches over it, just as a mother would watch over their kids and protect them. God watches over that word so you have the pure, unadulterated word of God that will give you life, that will encourage you, it will tell you what's right, what's wrong, how to get right and how to stay right. But you've got to look to the word, you've got to get in the word, you've got to hide it in your heart. In Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7, notice what it says with me. The words of the Lord, they're pure. As silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will preserve him from this generation forever. And God has been watching over the word from every generation to every generation so that you can have the very word of God. And it's God's letter to you. Whether you listen to it, dramatize, non-dramatize, whether you read it or you do both, God is speaking to you. God's speaking to me, and he's watching over his word, and he continues to direct and preserve that word, the inspired word of God. And Jeremiah 1.9 reminds us again, then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, behold, I put my words in your mouth. And sometimes even quoting a scripture that you don't remember exactly, and you begin to go through it and go through it. And you look, that's what I said. Or maybe it was a dream. He spoke to you in the dreams. God's word is inspired, it's preserved. And we simply need to take it as it is. It is the word of God. It's living, it's active. It's God's actual words. Inspired by God, put in the mouth of human authors, and speak it in a way that you and I can understand it. In the second century, Justin Martyr called the Bible the very language of God. In the fourth century, Gregory Nassa, he says, this is the voice of the Holy Spirit. If the inspiration does not extend beyond the originals, then we have a book that's dead. It's meaningless. It's not timeless. It is still the inspired Word of God. And God speaks and excites us, draws us to Himself. Just as God breathed again into Adam life, He breathes life through His Word into our lives. The second point I want to call your attention to it's, it's active. God's word is further described as is powerful. It's active. The word powerful comes uh, from the word energies, which is we get our energize. 
and conveys this again as active, working, because the Word of God is alive, it's powerful and active. In fact, let me read Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. Favorite for many of us. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return without the watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread for the eater, so my word be with be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the manner in which I sent it. When someone speaks his word to you or they tell you something, you know, I'm really excited. I'm reading this in my passage and, and, and you, you, you read it. God is oftentimes sharing it with you. He wants you to hear it. He wants you to hang on to it. It's not by accident. Oftentimes people say, well, I've been praying about something, and all of a sudden, uh, again, they find this scripture in their devotion, and someone uh, emails them or texts them and gives them that scripture. God's speaking to them, confirming this is from me. And I love you, and I'm watching over you. And the Word of God is active working, accomplishing its purpose. It's active, it's energizing you. It brings life where there's death. Mark 4, 26 and 29 says this, and he was saying that the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil and goes to bed at night and gets up by day and the seed sprouts and grows. How himself does not know. The soil produces the crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts the sickle because the harvest to it. The seed is just sown. Supernaturally gives life. When the farmer's sleeping, the, the seed just comes up on its own. Amazing. That's why we, we go out and we just share the word of God. And it's God that brings the increase. The word, there's power, there's life in the word itself. That's why we, we need to hear the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. If you're going through a time of depression, it's the word of God that you need to hear. A friend of mine was going through a difficult time and and for one year, because of all the crisis and everything, all he could do is listen to the dramatized Bible, the Psalms, for one year. He's one of the most amazing teachers I've ever heard. Because the Psalms reveal, again, the very heart of God, the character of God, but also the very heart of man. And how God de desires to hear from him and allows us to speak to him and expects us to speak to him. And they can find forgiveness in him and hope in him. He's a man that comforts others because he found comfort in the word of God. It took him from death to life. Acts 19.20 says this about the word. So the, the word of the Lord was going or growing mightily and prevailing. That's the birth of the church. We simply need to, to get the word out. When the word has become flesh in you and people see your lives and they hear the word, that this must be true. God's the one that brings the increase again. Jesus declares in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. 
When God has said it, it will happen. There's no denying. People can try and explain it away, but it will happen. Jesus is coming again. Why not now, Lord? That, that, that should be the reason, Mar Maranatha. The reason it's not now is because there's still people to reach. People that do not know him. People that God loves more than you and I love, and he's trying to reach them, and he wants to use you and me, and that's why we're still here. In some capacity. Maybe it's encouraging someone else, and, and they will reach out. Isaiah 40, verse 8, talking again about this same thought. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. You can stand upon this word. I don't know if you've ever said the expression, somebody called about the bill, oh, yeah, you meant to pay it, but you didn't pay it. The check's in the mail and it's sitting on your desk. When God says it's done, it's done. He's outside eternity. It's done. When he speaks, you can be assured the only one in this world that says something you can trust in 100%. There's no question. Romans 1.22 says this, professing to be wise, they became fools. Why? Because they rejected God and his word, the things that he says. People sometimes have, have a very hard time when the Bible says uh, our hearts are wickedly deceitful above all things. Who could know it? There are books out saying, well, you're really good. You've got a good heart. The Bible says no. There's no one good. Not one at all. And so they choose other books over that Bible, but God says his word is timeless. They profess to be wise. They profess even to be Christians and they distort the word of God, sadly. Jesus said in Luke 24, 25, and he said to them, O foolish men, slow of heart to believe, and all the prophets have spoken. See, it was after Jesus was raised, and it was just the road to Emmaus. Disciples are walking down there. Jesus is explaining to them all these things were necessary, would have to happen. They just didn't get it. Have you been there? I have been there where I just didn't get it. But when you get God, and you trust in God, and say, God, I don't understand this passage, but I know you do, and you will show it to me in that right time. I'm just going to trust you. I'm just going to rest in you. And it's so important. See, this Bible's living. It's active. It's powerful. But when we lean upon him, when we trust in his word, then we experience that, and we allow him to work in us. Well, the word of God, it describes, it's, it's penetrating, that's in verse 12. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Piercing, even dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. So the, God's word is it's, it's penetrating. The, God's word is likened to a sword. And Paul spoke about it in, again in Ephesians 6, 17. And again, the sword of the spirit is which the Word of God is. It's the Word of God is like the sword of the Spirit. By the way, in, in that sword of the Spirit, we, we think of a sword, you think of one of those honking swords, right? Where you, Peter lopped off the ear. Uh, it's probably smaller than this. That whole idea, on the, again, on 
Spiritual warfare is being steadfast, being firm. And this little dagger, what can this possibly do? It's gig Satan with the word of God when he's close. It's not to attack him. It's a means of defense. We use the word of God to counteract what, what the enemy is putting in our minds. We were talking about angels on our Wednesday morning study, and there's good angels and bad angels, and angels uh, actually can fill our minds full of dreams, appear to us in dreams. Well, evil angels do that, and they fill your mind with rubbish and lies about who God is, and the only defense we have is this sword of the Spirit, knowing and trusting and resting in the, in the Word of God. Why? Because it's sharper than a two-edged sword. But it's interesting that the best sort of men can never destroy, uh, I should say it could destroy the body, but it cannot destroy this life. The word of God is described again as that sharper than a two-edged sword. Well, it pierces the very soul of the man, convicting as far as the division of the soul and the spirit, both the joints and the marrow. It does not leave the soul alone. It pursues a person. He will not leave you in bondage in this sin. If you open your heart, he will follow you. Read Psalm 32, David, after he sinned with Bathsheba. It describes what's going on in his, his heart, the grief. God was working in him. Back in the book of Acts, when Peter contended with the religious crowd on that day, and they were trying to stop him from preaching the word of God. Now, that's important. I'm going to use this verse. Always keep things in context. It's not singing. It's preaching. They were preaching the word of God. And the high priest, so it was a religious group, was saying, no, you can't. The Jewish leaders say, no, you can't preach this word of God. So in Acts 5, 28, notice what it's saying. We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in his name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with the teaching and intend to bring man's blood upon us. God wants us to bring the word of God to the world. When you go and make disciples, you're bringing the word of God to them, helping them to understand the Bible in its context. Again, in Acts 5, verse 30 and 32, notice what it says. And the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you have put to death by hanging him on the cross. He is the one whom God exalted on the right hand, the prince and savior, to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. They determined they were just going to keep pouring forth the very word of God. The result is incredible. Well, look with me in verse 33, also in Acts 5. And when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. That idea, again, of, of, of cutting to the quick, they were convicted of it. You can't say that about me. And even though they knew, they were going to try and put him to death. And that's what the, the world tries to do, is to shut us up with the word of God. 
because it makes them uncomfortable. It is living, it's active, it's piercing as far as it needs to pierce. In fact, we see the same thing happening on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 38. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? When people are convicted by the word of God, you don't need to do an altar call. People are just going to respond, what must I do to be saved? See, it's not us converting people, it's God converting people. We only facilitate that, remind them what the, the very word of God is saying. The word of God, it's, it's a two-edged sword, penetrates deep into a person's soul. The soul is the personality of that person, cutting to their hearts, convicting them of their sinfulness and the need of a savior. It's not our responsibility to, to, to save them. It's our responsibility just to bring the word of God and love and speak to them. So the word of God, it, it, it's probing in another way of saying it. The, the writer's described as the one who has full knowledge of all things. He sees, knows all things. Nothing is hidden from him. Isn't that amazing? I'm so glad that you don't know what's in my heart. Aren't you glad I don't know what's in your heart and your mind, what you're thinking sometimes? You could be smiling, that son of a gun, you know. I don't know, but you know, you know what I mean. There's sometimes we just have these quick judgments. And sometimes, sadly, we have too much pride, too much invested, and we will not backpedal and say, I was wrong, I judged that person wrong. Have you ever judged somebody wrong and then realized it later? Man, it's convicting, isn't it? You need to go back and do the right thing. See, that's powerful, sharper than to it. God will not leave you alone. And I, I'm so thankful God will not leave me in that place. Because he wants to set you free. Again. The word of God here is able in verse 12. It says to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. <laughs> I love that. See, it's the word of God that judges, again, the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I, I don't know why, you know, he looked at me that way or why he said that or she said that. You know what I mean? We're quick to, we're always judging. We're always assuming and when we are, we're judging ourselves. The Word of God is judging us because the Word of God says, that's not what you do. God's Word is what judges a person's heart. We never know the motives. And I'm sure you're like me. You don't always know why you do something you do sometimes. And so we have to be very careful. It's the Word of God that does. Now the word judge is the same word as discerner in the King James. And it's where we get our word critic. Any critics here, please don't hold your hand up. We should not be critical of others. Unbelievers are doing what is natural to them. And I pray believers are doing what's natural to them. Loving. Encouraging. Building up. Restoring relationships. Not divisive leading people into the presence of a, a God who is our strong tower, our rock. Not breeding fear, not legalism, 
Oh, the list goes on and on, and you know the list. We've all been there. And so it's important to understand, God, this is God's job. Now, God's word, again, it's going to examine, it's going to test, it's going to scrutinize. And and we're going to learn these things from him because one day we will judge angels. But we learn as, as we watch God. We look at the big picture, not the little picture, because that's usually, we make the judgment on this and we do not see the big picture. We don't understand maybe that person just had a a loved one die or some crisis. When a person's under a crisis and and they've had a loved one die for months, sometimes there's a grief and sometimes they're going to react and say things that they would never say in another situation. The idea here, though, is, again, the way the Word of God works is like a surgeon able to decide in an instant exactly what to cut out, what to remove. There's no wasting of time, as you and I might. No wrong decisions. The Word of God goes straight for the heart. And I love that when you see Jesus. Jesus always knows what the greatest need. He, Jesus always really knows the problem behind the scene. It's not this, it's this. And he knows how to deal with that. And that's how the Word of God does. All we can ever do is judge the outward actions. And we judge it through a sinful mind. But God's word is pure. And his Holy Spirit is pure. And it cuts accurately. It's important to understand. Again, as Jesus said in Matthew 7, 20, so then you will know them by their fruits. And that's what we do. It's just by the the outward actions. But even so, we don't know what's behind the scenes. Solomon put it this way in Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. He says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. Christians should be honest and transparent with one another. This is what the Word of God has to do with it to us. Again, as I mentioned earlier, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart's more deceitful than all else desperately sick, the scripture says, who can understand it? This is why the word of God, it pierces and cuts as far as it needs to do. And it's so important. God is still on the throne, and this is so important to understand. He is the one that is in charge. He's the one that we look to. His judgment is always pure. His judgment is always righteousness. Well, again, Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And yet his word will get in there. God takes his word and penetrates deep into the hidden parts of our heart. In fact, the Bible writers stand in awe of that that capacity, the mind of, of God. Well, look with me in verse 13. And there's no creature hidden from his sight. Isn't that incredible? No creature hidden from his sight. This is the manifestation of God. The word creature here refers to God's creation. God has created man. There's not one person or thing that can hide from him. 
and this is important to understand, this speaks of God's absolute omniscience. He's knowing all things. He knows what you and I don't know. He knows why a person acts. He just simply knows everything. When it's all said and done, each believer will stand before that judgment seat of Christ. You ready? Are you ready? You should be ready because that means if you're caught up to be with him, you're going, the next thing's going to happen, you're going to go to the judgment seat of Christ. It's called the Bema seat. It's the reward seat. If you're really ready, you're going to have your house in order. You're going to be praying, Lord, search my heart and see if there's any wicked way. You're going to be looking for him to come, but you also know that you're going to be there with him. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed in deeds of the body according to what is done, whether good or bad. Each of us will stand this judgment. It's called, again, the white throne judgment. You will stand at this judgment. If you do not stand at this judgment, you will stand at what is called the white throne judgment. Let me read about that. Revelation 20, verse 11 and through 15. Notice what it says. And then I saw the great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence the earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great, the small, standing before the throne. The books were open. And other books were opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged for the things in which were written in the books according to their deeds. So everything an unbeliever does, and actually everything that you and I do, is recorded in these books. And then verse 14, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found written in that book of life, he will be thrown in the lake of fire. So there's a white throne judgment for the believers, those who have trusted Jesus, been born again, who believe in the word of God. Allow that word of God to work in them actively. And, and there's those who have rejected that word of God, they will stand at that white throne judgment one day. Today we hear people saying, this world is, 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 is full of crime. And yet, there are people getting off. They should go to jail. Because they hear about the slick attorneys, judges, corrupt people in the government. When you stand before God, there is no corrupt judge. He is a holy, righteous, just God. He is a God that knows all things, and the judgment will be holy, and it will be righteous. And there is no escaping it, whether it be at the rewards or that final judgment for the white throne judgment. It will be pure and righteous judgment. You will never find this on this earth. Every man will face his creator and you will give account for your life. Now hang on to that. You will give account for your life. What have you done with the word of God? When God has spoken to you, what have you done with it? Well, verse 13, you see the examination. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him. It speaks really figuratively. We're vulnerable. Helpless. Unprotected with the word of God. The word of God is going to come in and it's going to do the work. It's penetrating, yes. Yes. 
It reminds us that our unforgiven sin will be exposed. Those things that we've never confessed, those things we never dealt with. God has spoken to you about dealing with something in your life and you just refuse to deal with it. God's going to deal with it. Nothing will escape his notice. He's all-knowing. He's omniscient. He's constantly aware of everything that's going on in, in this universe, even though you can't and I can't. It reminds us, though, that we are under his power and his mercy. When the Apostle John saw Jesus on the island of Patmos, he described our Lord's eyes as a flame of fire, piercing. You probably had, you know, your mom, dad, looking at the little kid, you know, and they say, oh, no, I didn't do it, and they're looking at you, you know, you're looking at your kid, or you're looking at your mom, and they're looking in, and they know you really did do that. How much more a holy God these pure, righteous eyes. It speaks again as penetrating ability to search our hearts and minds. Revelation 3.17, speaking about the church of Laodicea. Because you say you're rich, you become wealthy, you need nothing, you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Sin blinds a person. This was an unsaved church. How does God look at a person, though? Again, he searches the minds, he searches our first Samuel 16, 7. Notice what it says. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his height, because I've rejected him. For God sees not as a man sees, for a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Boy, that grabbed me years ago. It, it, it stopped me and said, I can't look and make a decision about anybody because I don't know. That's all we do is we look at the outward. We make assumptions. And when we make assumptions, we make fools of ourselves. And one day we're going to stand before God for every word, every idle word. Proverbs 15.3 says this, The eyes of the Lord are every place, watching evil and good. Nothing surprises God. He's on the throne. Jesus knows everything. He, he knows all the hypocrisy, the bitterness, the malice, the backbiting, the wickedness in each individual. Sinful man will get absolutely nothing. It is a definite fact that God knows all things. In fact, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12, 14, for God will bring every act of judgment, everything which is hidden, whether good or evil. Stop for a moment, imagine, what's it going to be like standing before God with that beam of seat? Is there something in your life that you have not dealt with that he wants you to deal with? Something that you maybe know, that you know you didn't handle it right. Something you said that you should have never said. Apology that should have went out that you never apologized. You will stand accountable, I will stand accountable for each and every one of those things. Every little detail in our life. It will happen like that. But this is one of the reasons why many will be sad at his coming. Oh, they'll be happy he's coming, but their life is going to be revealed. Verse 13 again, to whom we have and do. The retribution. This is a reminder that we're going to answer to God. See, you now are accountable when you read this word of God. You are without excuse. 
You know that you're supposed to deal with this and deal with that. You can sweep it under the rug, but in the end, you will stand accountable. And that's so important that we, we think about these things now because it can be too late later. Hebrews 9.27 says this, Inasmuch as is appointed for man to die once, and then after comes judgment. The beam of seat or the white throne judgment? The rewards or that final judgment for the unbeliever? See, the Word of God, let's look at it again, Hebrews 4, 12, and 13, as we wind down. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open, laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we have to do. The Word of God comes to convince us in belief, convict us in our unbelief. When it's all said and done, we will stand before God of creation. How have we responded to Jesus? It's not enough to call ourselves a Christian. Do we walk as Christ walks? Do we walk in the light as he walks? Do you know him in a personal way? Do you hear him speak through the word? Does he speak to you? When he speaks to you, then you can be assured that you have a relationship with him. Many trust in the fact of what they do. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, 23, and then I'll declare, I never knew you. Depart from me who practice lawlessness. What Jesus wants you to do today is to seek him with all your heart. Seek him while he may be found. Ask him to speak to your heart. Ask him to search your heart. Some make the point he'll be here in six weeks. I didn't find that in the Bible. We could all leave this place and be in an accident today. But is your house in order? See, if you know him, you want your house to be in order. He's coming. He's coming soon. 1 John 2, 28 and 29, the last verses. Now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, we'll have confidence not shrink away from him and shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him.